This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker. Here we are again with another very interesting guest. We've got a guy from San Francisco who's going to be talking to us. He is a board-certified internal medicine specialist with a board certification in obesity medicine as well, and this is directly related to brain function. We're going to talk about it in great detail. His name is Dr. Pankaj Vij. I hope I said it right. Vij. You said it beautifully, Dr. Parker. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, sir. So we're looking very much forward to hearing about you. I'm going to introduce Punk Edge to you, and we're going to talk about his book a little bit, and we're going to find out about how he thinks we should manage chronic health conditions in a really constructive way. And that's absolutely referential to everything we're talking about in this series of programs. So he is the author of Turbo Metabolism as a doctor of internal medicine. He's helped thousands of patients lose weight, manage chronic health conditions, and improve their physical fitness. As I said a moment ago, he is board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. I didn't know there was a certification in obesity medicine, to tell you the truth. It's fairly new. It's, no, it uh, it's is. five or six years. No, oh, that's cool. So Dr. Vij has been practicing medicine since 97. He lives in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And you can visit him online at drvij, drvij.com. That's how you spell his last name. He has a passion about nutrition, fitness, and human performance. I mean, is there anybody who's listening who isn't interested in that? He's been on a quest to help people slow down the aging process and optimize human performance, thereby enhancing, get this, folks, health span, not just lifespan. He practices what he preaches by following a low-glycemic, anti-inflammatory, real food diet regular physical activity, meditation, and sleep. And there are people out here who don't know what a low glycemic index diet is, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. He adds music and humor for good measure, and I can tell you, talking to him offline, we know that the guy has a great sense of humor. And so he's a firm believer in the mind-body-spirit connection and emphasizes the importance of transforming the mind, get this, before transforming the body. Makes sense to me. His fascination with the science of spirituality is reflected in his efforts to seamlessly integrate the wisdom of the East with his quest to relentlessly pursue the truth of his mission. He is a sought-after speaker on topics such as health, wellness, nutrition, longevity, fitness, and metabolism, and volunteers at a free clinic and has led medical missions to Honduras and India. So he's a spiritual guy. He's given it back all kinds of different ways. So let's talk, Dr. Vij, about your mission and how you happen to get into this particular area. I mean, if you really think about internal medicine, I mean, is it it a big area or what? I mean, it's it's an enormous area. So how did you then come down to this level of getting so tied up with mind-body, connecting the two in your practice? Dr. Parker, in in my years of practice and in seeing a wide variety of conditions of illnesses, seeing many, many people, 
You're right. It, it's a very diverse pathology, a very diverse group of diseases and illnesses that we attempt to help people with. And at least my effort has always been to try to kind of get to the root causes and find out if there's a common theme, a common thread that I can find that sort of tie, brings the whole necklace together. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it as an internist and possibly, probably as a psychiatrist too, you might see diseases that have many, many different names, but the causes, when you really pair the layers of the onion, you get down to the causes, the causes aren't that many. And so as an internal medicine doctor, most commonly I will see people with type 2 diabetes, with high blood pressure, with some sort of heart disease, which high blood pressure is a type of heart disease, but they might have had a heart attack or they might have some congestive heart failure, or they've had a stroke, which is essentially the same thing as a heart attack, but it happens in the brain, so you can call it a brain attack. And the common theme with all of those, and what we're learning is with many, many other diseases too, is an impairment in energy delivery. And energy delivery is nothing but metabolism right? Metabolism is the delivery of energy, the, the process of converting whatever fuel you're putting into the machine into energy that can either propel us, help us to propel forward and do the things that we want to do and have fun and have a great life, or plug up the engine, choke up the, the pipes, and we're spewing fumes and sputtering and polluting the air. And essentially, the pipes are just getting clogged because the energy isn't getting to where it needs to go. And what we're learning now is that not only the diseases that I mentioned, but a lot of the diseases that you treat too, mood disorders and Parkinson's, and you think about things like Alzheimer's dementia, and we're finding that even all these diseases are because the brain isn't getting energy the way it should be. And so it's malfunctioning and we behave in ways that aren't the most healthy for us. I want to thank you so much for that little piece. That is such an important piece. I mean, you, you said it rather casually. But, you know, the whole idea of metabolism being tied up with energy delivery, now, that's commonplace for you. I mean, I'm sure that you think about that, but that's a new thing for me. I, I've been, and it takes it to a deeper level because I've been focusing on metabolism without actually thinking about that essential point, the relationship to underlying energy maladaption in some way. That's such an interesting point. I really appreciate it. That's the core of the problem. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a more sort of stark example of, of it being very concrete. You could, you know, sit in front of a fast food place, whatever your favorite is, McDonald's, Burger King, In-N-Out, whatever, and you have guys walking in and out, and you could take someone who looks like they're 50, 100 pounds overweight, and if you talk to them nicely enough, they might even let you check their blood sugar, and their blood sugar might be 200. Yeah. So they, they've got lots of energy stored in them. Even their bloodstream looks like there's fuel in the pipes. But yet this person thinks that they're hungry and they're mm -hmm. tired, right? And they're, they're foggy headed and they're walking in to, you know, grab a cheeseburger or get some French fries or get some soda because they don't, they're feeling tired in the middle of the day. So there's something wrong with that energy delivery where it's not making it to their muscles or to their brain even though they have lots of it. Such an excellent point. I mean, that is very, very interesting because, and I'm going to use that. I can tell you that. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell me that because that is, that is very, very useful. And I can see why you would have the book, Turbo Metabolism. Now I can see why you would be thinking about that because what you're saying is we have to clarify that, straighten it out, correct it. Because what's happening is the whole thing is, 
there are layers of uh, impediments in the way. Yeah, it's like you've got lots of money in the bank, right? But you got the wrong password or you lost your checkbook somewhere or or your ID got stolen and now the bank won't let you get to your own money. So it's there, right? You got $10 million sitting there, but, but you're walking around, you know, you can't even buy shoes because you don't have access to your own energy. Not only that, because your bank is so big, it's hanging over your belt and you can't tie your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bank. That's right. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, so let's talk about how you deal with that. Let's talk about the science of that, what you do with individuals, and what kind of uh, processes you put them through to get that uh, whole malformation corrected. I think that's where you and I have a lot in common because I believe that the hanging belly, the overweight, the obesity, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, whatever these downstream effects that we're seeing are the result of something upstream which happens in the mind. And I would venture to say that obesity is a symptom, right? That mm -hmm. even that impaired metabolism is a symptom of something happen, something that is happening much more upstream at the mind, at the psychosocial level. And until we understand what that is, what is that trauma? What's the thing that's bothering this person? What is the root cause of this imbalance that then resulted in them becoming addicted to whatever it is they're addicted to, salt, sugar, fat, oil, cookies. Again, those are just the symptoms. And that you could replace that with, you know, we're in the midst of an opiate epidemic. You could replace that with Vicodin, Norco, heroin, Percocet. Those are, you know, less, those are sort of more taboo addictions. Eating chocolate chip cookies is perfectly legal and socially acceptable. But essentially, it's feeding the same problem, right? You're, you're easing your pain, you're self-medicating, either it's with food or with a chemical. Well, and it's so circular because it's funny because you're a medical guy and I'm a psychiatric guy. And I have to tell you, just while you're talking to me, I'm spinning it out the other way because my pitch so often to people that come in and see me is your body is messing with your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a circle going on that the mind... It's a two-way street. Yeah, two it goes street. both ways. And, and so what we do is we really are big on getting um, food sensitivity measured and all this sort of thing. The tip of Mount Everest for me is IgG testing. We're interested in food sensitivities because they go downstream and just mess up the entire neurotransmitter work because immune system dysregulation actually interferes with neurotransmitters. And you know yeah. that. When you mess up the blood-brain barrier, now you're getting things that are affecting the brain or the gut-blood barrier, again, from unhealthy food choices. You're getting things that are affecting the immune system, the brain, that should, really shouldn't be there because the surveillance system should have caught them. But that's happening because of what's happening in our food landscape. You know, it's so interesting to me. It's so good to talk to a guy like you because what happens so often, you're really very well, highly trained, two board certifications in traditional medicine. But what you're yeah. saying is there's a place in traditional medicine for a guy like me who's going to take it right down to the molecular and cellular level as opposed to stopping somewhere at LabCorp. Absolutely. You and and, that, and it's that connecting the dots, I think, is what makes this so powerful because when you can connect the dots from someone and help them understand what's going on, once they get it, boom, that light bulb is on, the rest becomes much more automatic. It becomes easier. So the what, where who, when becomes easier when the why is clear. So let's just take a moment because some of our folks are not medically astute. What we want to get part of the reason we do these interviews is because the language is so relevant for the public. Let's talk about glycemic index for just a moment because that's so relevant to our conversation. It's really straightforward, right? Glycemic index is simply 
the speed with which blood sugar is released from a food. It's typically applying to carbohydrate foods, right? So it's the speed by which your blood sugar is going to rise. If I was checked your blood sugar with a glucose meter every five minutes, right, over the next two hours, and I did an experiment, the rise in glucose would be different if you were having Coca-Cola versus you're eating broccoli. The broccoli is going to release much slower into the bloodstream in terms of your blood glucose. It will go up. Your blood glucose will go up after eating a broccoli salad, but it's going to go up a lot faster by eating or drinking a soda. Or again, to use another analogy, there are like different delivery mechanisms and the high glycemic index would be just giving somebody cash dollars versus the low glycemic index would be giving them a mutual fund that's going to be more is the energy stored is going to get released to them more gradually or a CD for their Mm -hmm. money. Yeah. So then how do you actually work with individuals from a, let's start at the very baseline. What kind of testing do you think is absolutely essential to build a foundation for health that's going to give you some data that's going to drive that person down the road where they need to go? Yeah, I mean, we can start off with really simple tests that are all covered under insurance. And I talk about this in the book in the Let's Get Started chapter. But it's simple tests like a fasting lipid panel, a fasting glucose, an HbA1c or glycosylated hemoglobin, which tells me your sugar averages over the past three months. We might get a creatinine, which is a blood test for your kidney function. I think vitamin D is a really good test to have. And those are some of the basics. There's a more advanced test that we can look for inflammation in the body, like the high sensitivity C-reactive protein. But these are all standard tests that are done and covered by insurance very easily. And that gives you a nice baseline as to where you are on the spectrum, right? Are you someone that has end-stage disease? Are you someone that has some impairment to metabolism? Or are you in the pre-disease state? Or are you optimal, right? Someone like uh, Michael Phelps might be considered to be in turbo metabolism because he can eat whatever he wants and he has tons of energy and he's performing at a very elite level. Well, you and I are probably not there, but we're... <laughs> but, You're there more than I am, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, we might be suboptimal, but we're not perfect. But I think we're every single one of us is a work in progress and we can work in that direction no matter who you are. So in terms of developing a theme, in terms of individuals that you see, what would you say would be the, and, and this is really, uh, it's probably too hard to answer. I'm actually putting myself in your shoes as I'm asking the question. But I think the listeners would be interested, what does a doctor see as some of the most common themes of metabolic impediment that need to be addressed like almost universally? Well, I think before we started recording, you and I were talking about asking people about their elimination, and I think that's a good one, but even more critical, one of the first things that I talk to people about is what they're eating, because I think food is 80% of the formula, right? So you think about the master levers of health, feet, forks, and fingers, it's the forks that's probably the most critical one. So 80% of your health outcomes are going to be based on what type of food you're putting in your body. Is it even food? Right? There's so many things that are disguised and presented to us as food, and they're familiar, and they're everywhere, and they feel comfortable, and they're very palatable, but they're really not even edible because your body doesn't even recognize them as food. So the first thing would be to ask someone, you know, okay, let's sit down and help me understand sort of what your eating pattern is. So tell me over the last 24, 48 hours, what did you have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? 
So I have an idea of what you're putting into your body because that's the fuel, that's the building blocks that you're working with. So yeah, the forks are the most critical piece. Yeah. So then what happens is you, you actually break that down for a person so you know what's going on on the front end. You're basically saying this is going to be, this is going to be an impediment. This is a problem. But the other two, thing, too, to keep in mind is that you have to meet the person where they are, right? I mean, I can't impose my views in t- you know, on, on someone that I'm meeting for the first time unless they're asking and they're ready and they want to know what I think. For the most part, I need to meet them where they are and see if we can take some steps in the right direction that we both agree that they should be going in. It has to be a collaboration. It's, it can't be one person sort of dictating on their terms. Yeah. So we certainly agree on that point. The issue is you just offend a person if you, they want answers, but then if the job is too hard, it's over. You have to figure out where they can move forward and help yeah, them. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a dance, right? It's a little bit of a dance and you have to make sure that they're not going to fire you and not come back the next time. <laughs> right. So, but let's make some small changes and, and see you know, what you're willing or able to do. And if they mm-hmm. don't want to do anything, then you go back to the question of, hey, how bad do you want this or, or why why are you trying looking to make a change at all and sometimes the motivation is hey i just want to drop one belt size so i can fit in my suit for my daughter's wedding next mm-hmm. month and i don't care what happens after that and that's a very <laughs> different goal from yeah. from saying you know i want to take a hike to my mount kilimanjaro or i want to go play football with my grandkids and that's that's a completely different target that's a very very good point definitely is so then do you have a specific diet? You know, there, there's so much talk about diets now, and I know you're not a cookie cutter guy, so I'm being very careful with this question because you're a man of precision. I can see that. But on the other hand, could we talk a little bit about diets and ones that you recommend, ones that you don't recommend, things that you think from your clinical experience that have been helpful? Well, first of all, I, I, I like the word lifestyle a lot better than I like the word diet. Okay. Lifestyle is about living. It's about living life. It's about, it's about making choices on your own accord versus diet. You know, sounds like it, again, it's, it's unilateral. It's like something that's being dictated. And the other thing that it communicates is that it's something that's short term, right? Diet has the word die right in it. It's, yeah, I'm on this <laughs> diet. I'm doing yeah. this thing for 28 days or 32 days or 16 and a half days or whatever. And then, then, then what, right? right? Whereas thinking about lifestyle is, would be something that's ongoing. And this is a choice that I'm making to live my life in this way. And this is how I'm going to be in as long as I breathe, right? So that's one thing to keep in mind. And what that does, again, it, it frees the client or the patient to have that liberty to make their own choices. Like you said, it's not about cookie cutter recipes. It's more about, hey, let's be a chef, right? Let's not be a cook. Let's be a chef and how what we can design something that's customized that works for you. You know, having said that, if you look across the world and however far back you want to go in history, populations that have the longest lived people with the least morbidity, the least health problems are the ones that eat a diet that is a nutrient-dense, plant-rich diet. Mm-hmm. So unprocessed foods, close to the ground, mostly plants, right? And then you, you can build on that and, and give it your own flavor. You know, you want to have a little bit of meat, you want to have a little bit of animal protein, that's fine, but think about it as more of a condiment. You're doing it for taste, flavor, texture. You don't really need to be eating a whole bunch of meat for any reason, for any kind of nutrient that you won't get from plants. 
So a nutrient-dense plant-rich diet would be by sort of very general suggestion. And most experts agree on that. I mean, you look at Mediterranean, you look at the real Paleolithic diet, not the Atkins version of it, but the real sort of caveman diet. You look at Mediterranean, you look at the Seventh-day Adventists, you look at the people from Okinawa that live long, look at all the blue zones, and what they have in common is that they're eating a nutrient-dense plant-rich diet. So let me ask you about this now. You may be familiar with Dr. Stephen Gundry and the plant paradox since you're talking about plants. And I'd be interested in your opinion about that. I know a little bit about it, but I would be interested in your, and I, you may not be familiar with it, but uh, he's, he's big on lectins as yeah. lectins and leaky gut downstream from lectins. And what do you think about that? Well, I think, Dr. I know a lot about what he's talking about, and I think he's a really smart, respectable colleague, mm-hmm. but I think he's done a huge disservice in this message for, you know, the plant paradox, the whole message is sort of goes against what all the wisdom is showing. I mean, he talks about things like, oh, eating a kidney bean will kill you because you can't eat it raw with all the lectins. Yeah, but who eats kidney beans raw? You, you cook your beans, <laughs> right? That would be the same as eating what happens if you have a piece of chicken raw or you have steak that's not been cooked. It's going to be much, much worse for you. And what we should all be doing is collaborating and helping people simplify and understand what the truth is rather than tooting our own horns for whatever reason we might have, whether it's to sell books or sell supplements or just get more publicity in TV shows while just muddying the water. People are confused enough as it is, and then they don't want to listen. They say, oh, screw this. You're saying this, and he's saying that, and and everybody's fighting with each other, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we need. I agree with that point because, I mean, this was disconcerting to actually think about the plants being paradoxically negative in some way. And well, on the other hand, if you ask him what he eats or you look at what he's eating, he is eating a plate that you know shows that he believes in plant power. He's not just eating sausages and bacon and, and yeah. steak all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, And all the cardiac guys are in that whole thing. I mean, that's everybody that's been talking about uh, cardiac wellness for years has been on the plant-based side. Absolutely. You have uh, work going all the way back to Dr. Dean Ornish, or even before him, Nathan Pritikin, who's not a physician. We've got Dr. Michael Greger. We've got uh, Dr. Esselstyn and his whole group at the Cleveland Clinic. Bill Clinton got on this diet. The evidence speaks for itself. You look at, there's thousands and thousands of studies that show that a whole foods plant-based diet is the only diet that's been shown to reverse heart disease. Michael Greger does have the good videos, doesn't he? Yeah, I love that I mean, guy. I, I do too. I, I put him right on the front page of Core Brain Journal because I think the videos are so compelling because he talks about it so convincingly and then just pops the article right up there for you to look at. I don't know how he does it from a technology point of view, but it's so, it's like you're reading the article with him. I mean, it's inarguable. And here are the references. And he's a great guy, and then he, he sticks to the facts. He talks about the evidence. You know, he doesn't want to get into anything that, that's not 100% evidence-based, and I love that about him. Yeah, me too. So then what do you think would be, in, in terms of you as a professional person, what would you say would be one of the largest impediments, one of the confounding factors that you have to deal with? It's like, how do I get this done? What's, this is a, a nagging problem that I see on a regular basis, and I'm puzzled about it, and I'm working on it, what would you say would be an area that's true like that for you? You mean a, a challenge in our work? Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, even, even a patient where you think, hey, this particular type of patient is going to be a challenge for me. In general, the challenge for most of us is time, right? If you had enough time, if you have 45 minutes or an hour to really explain to someone what's going on. And that was one of the reasons I wrote this book was that, you know, I felt like I was just scratching the surface and I wasn't being very effective in my short time that I would have with people. And I wanted to have sort of a one-stop shopping, all the information that I wanted to give them in one place. And that, so I, I would say time is, is the biggest challenge. People are not challenging. People are coming to us to get help. If they didn't want to be helped, then they wouldn't be in your office. They're mm -hmm. here because they have some answers that they need. But there may be some that are, you know, at a more teachable moment in their life than others. But I think as, as healers, as, as healthcare practitioners, as providers, it's our job to understand the truth and be purveyors of that truth and make it available and try to come to some sort of consensus so we're not contributing to the confusion. There's already too much confusion. That is so true. So well said. I mean, that was profound. I mean, that is so true. We see that happen all the time. You're doing the work. I mean, with your show, you're reaching thousands of people and you're providing them with good, actionable, positive information. You're making an, a, a tremendous impact. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. I mean, we all make an effort and it's great to have a person, a voice like you come up and speak about it so profoundly and so easily. I mean, you sound like you must teach at medical school. I did a little stint. Uh, I did some teaching at the University of California at San Francisco for some time taking a bit of a break from that to write this book, but I, mm -hmm. I certainly miss the teaching. It's, it's, it's really fun to, and it really helps your own understanding of things too, when you actually have to explain it to someone. I think that's true. And, and, and organize your ideas in a way that takes it to a transcendent level of uh, really full appreciation. You, know, you did that so articulately and well, I was assuming that you've done some serious teaching. You did a, a very good job. I think time is one of my favorite topics in terms of over on mind science. Mind science, people don't pay attention to time. They have no idea of time and metabolism. All the medications, most of the medications, are thrown at labels that have no time sequence associated with it. And so it's like, you just take this, I'll talk to you later. And they have no idea of what the duration of effectiveness is, the therapeutic window is, what is really, what you're really trying to accomplish, what the side effects are, and the whole complexity of what's actually going on. It's a, and time is the, is the essence of the whole thing. We see it happen all the time. Absolutely. Quite agree with you. You, you would enjoy uh, a favorite book of mine by Alfred Korsibsky on science and sanity, ah. which has to do with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle mm -hmm. as it applies to language. And of course, what happens when it applies to language, time becomes a part of that conversation because people think of linguistically in terms of finite terms, using the word only or always is a, a very clear example of not putting the time concept into language. So when somebody says, you know, you're always that way, well, they're speaking in a reptilian language that doesn't have an awareness of the complexity of the situation. Science and Sanity by Alfred Korsibsky is the subtitle is something like the non-Aristotelian field theory of general semantics and its uh, meaning with science or something like that. I can't remember what the subtitle is, but you'd get a kick out of it. I'll have to look it up for sure. It's, it's right there on the front. It's on the front page of Core Brain Journal and down in the footer. So what should we do collectively 
and what would be something that we could do as professionals. You've written the book. How are you working with your book to get it out there? Is there anything I could do to help you? Well, it's stuff like this. It's having these conversations and, and really beating the drums of the truth, right? Because the other side has really big drums. When you look at the, <laughs> when you look at the food lobby and the pharma lobby and what's happening in our government these days and how you know, it seems like everybody's working and there's an excess going on. And so we need to combine forces and make our, loud, our voice as loud as we can and make sure that what we're speaking is the truth that is precise with the intention of helping as many people as we can. So I think shows like yours, Michael Greger's work, books that, that tell the truth are, are, need to be put up there on the, on the front and center of the stage so that we can do what we can to, to deafen the noise from all the untruth and the fake news that's going around. <laughs> so one of the things that's happened to me, and you get a kick out of this because the way you're talking is so erudite in terms of the way you pull things together. And I don't know whether people would then try to put you in a box. I know they've tried to put me in a box in a certain way in that I used to be a traditional psychiatrist. And so then when I talk about these things with patients, they say, well, you're a functional medicine psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And they want to put me, oh, you're an integrated, you're an integrated, say, yeah. or you're functional medicine. And I say, no, I'm, I'm really not. Because what happens is as soon as I go over there, I'm in a different club, which doesn't deal with traditional medicine, which is done so much for so many people. So then, so they say, well, if you're not a functional medicine psychiatrist and you're not, a, what are you? I said, it's really simple. I'm comprehensive. Yeah. I, <laughs> Comprehensive is my favorite word. <laughs> I like, I, I love that. And I, I get that a lot too. And they'll, they'll say things like, oh, you know, Ayurveda, right? No, I don't know Ayurveda. Oh, you're a holistic doctor. Oh yes. Holistic. I'm a, I'm a holistic in the sense that people come to me with their whole list. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> yeah, right. I love I, it. But I'm looking for the truth and I'm, I don't know if I found the whole truth yet or if I ever will, but my job is to, try to sift through all, all the garbage and try to find out the nuggets of wisdom that I can, that I can share with whoever I'm talking to. So do you then do, uh, this is so intriguing what you're talking about. It would seem like a lot of people would be interested in it. Do you do a programmatic approach at all or is it strictly individual work that you do with individual patients who are seeing you? I, I do some group appointments too. So there's uh, this new model that we're exploring now where we can actually do shared medical appointments. So I uh, find it a lot more effective if I have a group of 12 to 15 people in a room and I can walk them through you know, a series where they, I see them once a week for eight weeks in a row. So now I've got, all of a sudden I've got 32 hours with you rather than 10 minutes. And now we can really make an impact. And those are the folks that really benefit the most are the ones that get that sort of more intensive sharing of information and that intensive opportunity to understand what's going on. And again, the book was an effort to try to encapsulate all that information and give people sort of one-stop shopping and have it all available. Well, tell us more about how you do that, because there are some professionals who would like to have an idea of what you do. Do you when you said that, I, you said it quickly and I got the picture, but then do the people come and say, okay, I'm, I'm signing up for this program. Do our other physicians involved with you in this? Or do you do that as a program and that's a, an activity that you, how do you, how do you actually handle that? 
So I belong to an organization where people are prepaid, and I'm not allowed to say the name of the organization, but since they're prepaid into the system, they can simply sign up. I did had to create this entity that I did, but I know that people in other systems are doing it too. And in fact, there's a Medicare reimbursement for shared medical appointments. And so if there are providers that are listening, they can look into that Medicare reimbursement for shared medical appointments. And so Mm -hmm. then you can give dietary and lifestyle advice and you get reimbursed. It's a little bit per person, but because you have a large group of people, it ends up being close to what you would be reimbursed for your time if you were doing one-on-one appointments. But I think the plus is so strong. The positive part of it is so strong because you can make a huge impact, which you just, it it would be very difficult to do in a one-on-one appointment. That is good advice. I mean, that's something I need to consider myself to tell you the truth. I think there's so, because it's so useful. You know, you do a one-time, one-hour presentation. What's the use of that? I mean, it's interesting and entertaining, but it doesn't have the follow-through. And the real thing that's missing in so much of medicine is is, uh, astute, ongoing follow-through. So that Absolutely. a person has a chance to really process what they're doing, time. And more of a longitudinal contact over time. So it's ongoing and there's some sort of accountability both ways. And you can hold somebody's hand for a little bit longer to really support them and walk with them a few steps before the training wheels come off, so to speak. <laughs> I love it. And I really appreciate it. I mean, the small things in conversation like this are so meaningful because I think even just using just that, uh, you didn't correct me per se, but I mean, it was clarification of diet versus lifestyle. I think just using the terminology makes it more acceptable. I, I, I want to thank you for that point. And oh, I think you, yeah. you, you the words we use makes all the difference in the world, right? You said it's all about the linguistics. It is. And if you say it right, and then you have a good heart coming at it in the first place. Absolutely. then it's a whole different situation than cookie cutter and, and pushing it along. So we want to thank you so much for coming on board. Let's talk about your website so we can get people over there, if you don't mind. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show, Dr. Parker. But the website is just my name, drvidge.com, but it's the whole word, Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-V-I-J.com. And I love to put fun articles, some that I've written, some that I find from other places. There's a lot of cool videos and and other little tidbits that I add there all the time. And I'd love to connect with people at my website. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Punkaj Vidge, out there in San Francisco. I love talking to you, buddy. Anytime you want to come on again, we'll be happy to have you come on. It was a very interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. 
Together we can make a difference.